1: So sure, I had all this money, and sure, everybody was telling me how great I was. Nobody at the office liked me. They all thought I was an absolute prick. I was leaving my house in the morning before my kids were up because in the city, and I had to bring my car. I couldn't take public transit because I would need it to go on sales calls.
0: Right.
1: So I had to leave before they got up. If I was in town and not traveling, I'd still get home in the evening after they were in bed because you'd see the same thing. You'd look at the rush hour traffic, and once you got to be a boss... People need to want to cry on your shoulder or to celebrate. You know, if it had been a good day, come out and have a beer with me. If it was a bad day, I need to cry on your shoulder. The truth of the matter is, is, I was absolutely killing myself. I was abusing alcohol badly.
0: Tim, welcome to the show, my friend. Please tell us your story.
1: Hey, Donnie. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, when you get to this much gray hair, telling the story can, you know, sometimes you're wondering a little bit where to start. You know, just given that, what you told me a bit about what you, you know, where you're trying to dig deep and things that aren't all, all that often shared, you know, when we, when we look at all these, you know, so-called successful people and this whole world of social media, you can sometimes think that everybody's just a bloody Goddess, and they're, you know, they're sitting on a beach in Thailand and the money's just flowed so in. So, there have been all sorts of stages of my life when I've questioned things, when I'm relearning lessons that I've learned before. But I, I think one of the, I think the place I'll start here is this. Like, I grew up and, and it's not something I used to talk about. I wasn't really, no shame, but I just didn't see how it fit my business story. But I, I was born with a, a degenerative bone disease. Bone disease, which meant that, as a kid, I mean, I I spent most of my years up to about 15 with one limb or another, legs, arms, whatever, in white plaster, you know, and it was particularly challenging. Because I loved sports, and I was a stup- I was a stubborn son of a bitch. So I mean, you know, I mean, I'm from Canada, man. So I put on skates, and you, you, you know, you eventually learn the putting on skates. And as, once guys get into the, the people you're playing with are in their teens, so when they start banging you around, things break. Well, I get it. You know,
0: figure skating uh, is a pretty you know violent sport. Oh, I meant hockey. Hockey. That's hockey. What you're hockey
1: yeah, but I mean that would be too. Like honestly, the last time I broke my leg skating was uh, without any contact i just pivoted the wrong way spun and the bone twisted it hit the ice and snap you know i mean um i mean they were weak man i mean i played football i played baseball i I broke a leg once playing baseball when a ball in practice hit me in the back of the leg in the wrong spot and it just broke it wasn't even it was a ball it wasn't even so you know you got to realize that it was they got you know somewhat stronger as years went on i'm still not the you know these hands are not for the if, if this is a video i'm not sure but these hands aren't you know, the strongest and all left. But, you know, I mean, it, the thing that it did is, you know, growing up, I mean, um, I would say there was a chip on the shoulder. I mean, kids are not always the nicest whenever they're presented with someone who's Got some differences. Yeah. Yep. So there was a serial, I don't know whether it's still around today, but there was a serial back then called Captain Crunch. <laughs> and the, the meter kids in the, and the school thought it was cool to call me that, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So, and honestly, man, I mean, I was the, uh, back in my day, like you didn't go to your senior prom without a, without a date. Right. And I couldn't get a date. Uh, there was nobody that wanted to date that kid who was growing up and was always in, you know, plaster and, and all that kind of stuff. And and I think also because when people are picking on you all the time and you can't fight back with your arms, you learn to use your, your mouth. Right. Um, so, you know, to defend yourself. And, and I got pretty good at that. You know, so in fact really good at that. So you know, that was there and I didn't think too much of it because when I got to my finished school I thought, okay, I'm start you know, life started over at university. I went to the University of Toronto, which was still is, it was the biggest university in Canada. There were a handful of people that knew me, but just about everybody in these big lecture theaters, whatever. They were all new. I looked like a normal person. If you didn't see me on a football field falling down, I was nothing (laughs) identified as as, uh, as different. eh? But the thing was, Donnie, so I just got on with life. And and I did what everybody told me to do. And that is, you know, the purpose in life and the definition of success (laughs) is to go to school, graduate, get into a good university, get a good job, and then especially when, you know, when I was growing up, like I hit the workforce in the 1980s. So that'll tell you how old I am, but I'm telling you, man, it was cut through, you, right. you know, you're, there was no hesitation. Your job was to climb that corporate ladder as fast as you bloody well could. And if you had to step on some people or be mean or be a prick or whatever, that was just part of being a man. Right. You know, that was, right. that was it, you know, and having that chip that I had on my shoulder, I didn't know it. I never saw the relationship in those days, man. But, I mean, I know what it did is it, I was driven. I said, well, fuck you. Pardon my language, but I said, fuck you. You've been stepping on me for all these years. I'm going to show you now in an adult world, and, you know, in this case it was sales and, a, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a software side of things, and I'm going to show you. And I did it. And I won't say I was the nicest person to be around. I literally had a sign, a handmade sign above my desk that said, leave me, follow me, or get the hell out of my way.
0: Like this is the kind of guy. Really, you can imagine how popular I wasn't. Well, but here's what I love about this, Tim, is I truly believe your story is your success, right? So if people will embrace what they've been through on their journey, right? That becomes your fuel, your ammunition, however you want to look at it to progress and succeed in life. People oftentimes are so ashamed of what they've been through when they don't realize that they'll just embrace that and use that as fuel and fire. And that's what I love about doing the show is a lot of people sharing those type of stories because it hopefully empowers others to be willing to share their stuff. Because if you bottle that stuff up for one, you know, it's just going to make you sick. But two, by sharing that story, it's a rocket fuel that will light a flame under your ass and you'll soar because you're no longer hiding behind some sort of mask, you know, and yeah, trying to be somebody you're not.
1: You see, the, the, the really interesting thing – I agree with everything you said there, man, but the really interesting thing with me is as I aged, that fuel turned – believe it or not, it actually turned into an attitude of gratitude. I'm actually thankful that I had those health problems and they've come back to me. Like now in my sixties, I mean, because of all those broken bones, I've got a lot of osteoarthritis and aches and pains. I mean, it's just the reality of things, but you know, now with the benefit of looking back on things, I'm able to see that, you know, for that challenge that I was presented with, I was actually given an incredible gift because here's the thing when I'm presented, if somebody tells me don't do that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, you're, you're not going to succeed. My analysis of that situation is different than most people, I think. I didn't realize it at the time. But now I say, okay, is this physically going to hurt? Like, Because that's, that's the right. thing that I, I've come to accept as a limitation. I know I can't go on a football field or get in a wrestling ring with you and not get hurt. I just know it, okay? And I accept that because I, I ended up hospitalized enough times <laughs> to realize that's kind of a law of my nature. Okay? right. But if you tell me that's a badass, stupid idea, Tim, and I'm, I'll get into it in a bit because I, I just started a new business at 60 that, you know, everybody's telling me I'm a flaming idiot and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I, I need to back it up to the, the, the first time I did that. But here's the thing. When you tell me that, I just think, well, if it doesn't hurt, and I realize now that I've got this this in, inborn unwillingness to accept that I can't do it. So if it's not going to hurt, then, man, I mean, I got nothing to lose by trying. If, if, the, if the benchmark is, well, I end up hospitalized or paralyzed, <laughs> you know, what's the risk of losing some money? Well, you what's know, the he, risk he, of somebody not liking me? You yeah, that's very important to me
0: absolutely. You know, and here's, here's the cool thing is that is the pinnacle of putting the fuel behind it is actually understanding and being grateful for it. Right. Is, is what you went through shaped you to who you've become and it will continue to do that as you continue to move forward. And right. And, and the more you can look back and go, damn, I'm so glad I went through that because it taught me X, it allowed me to do this. And now I can use that to empower myself to move forward. Dude, (sighs) That is the ultimate game changer, and that's you know part of the reasons you've probably found some of the success in your life, and that's the reason well, that everybody finds.
1: Yeah, I don't. There's no question. That I, and again, it's really it really is weird though because you don't, at least in my case, and, and I've had a lot of guests on my my show, probably like yours, that have come from some fairly dark places yes. or dark experiences. And we should yeah. maybe share share some names sometime. Today. Yeah, we'd absolutely. But you know, I don't think we ever really understand that during those times. I think it's only afterwards when we have the benefit of being able to, you know, learn self-awareness and to be able to look, look back. Because So there I was in my 20s. And, boy, Donnie, I mean, by the time I was 28 years old, I was making, you know, $100,000 a year or more. And, you know, in the mid-1980s, that That's was a serious bit of scratch. I mean, the well, you
0: know, like only truth, you know, like people always say, you know, back in the – dude, $100,000 in this day and age is still a good amount of money, right?
1: Yeah, it sure is. And then it was like in the, I was in the top 2%. Right. In in terms of earnings. Right. Not 2% in terms of wealth, but in terms of getting what I was getting paid, you know, for my time. You know, I had uh, by the time I was 30, you know, I was married. So the guy who couldn't get, you know, a date to the senior prom had a, (laughs) a really good looking wife and a smart you know, beautiful woman. Was she blind I, uh, too? Uh, no, she's brilliant. Oh, okay. You know, smart, you know, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pass. She would now say that, that she had some vision problems. But, but true story here because, you know, I'll just because you're going to take it I might as well throw this one out here and I'll come back to it. So I met my wife, believe it or not, back in the day when they had these things called discotheques. And, and, and so the guys, we used to get together on a Friday night and we'd travel in packs and the women would travel in packs because you needed that support because when right. you cross that big empty dance floor to ask somebody, to dance when they turned you down which invariably they did right yeah you know at least when you walk back to the table after they finished laughing at you know, they didn't laugh too hard because they were going to be next right
0: right right, right. so
1: the night i met debbie i had been out golfing with my brother and one of his friends and they were just sitting in this quiet little conservative little club getting pissed drunk and i'm looking around and i'm thinking i don't want to spend a saturday night doing this so for the first time in my life i went down to this disco it was called mingles of all places they Mingles. <laughs> and there's this great big table of women and I'm thinking, well, I got no I got no wingman here, but I also have nobody to laugh at me. So i go across the floor, and I see this cute little redhead at the end there, and I lean down, and I ask her if she'd like to dance. i not a word. She sort of looks at me and turns her head, and the nose goes up and down, and she goes up and down, and she says, no, thank you. So normally that would have been enough to turn me around and head me back across the floor, but with nobody else around, I just turned to the next one in line. <laughs> so I hadn't even noticed and said, hey, would you like to dance, and I think, you know, but now Debbie says uh, that there's a reason why she hasn't spoken to Ruth in, the, like, 25 years. They actually just lost touch, but she says, you know, I'll never forgive her for not taking one <laughs> the team and taking a <laughs> chance. You know, like yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, um, so because but, she she was seconds, you know, Yeah, was, exactly,
1: second. you know, and, if she, and had, but better still, if Ruth had said, yes, maybe she wouldn't have got stuck with me, I think was the real message.
0: Right, right, right. But, That's you know, awesome. the
1: thing is, I had a wife. I had a son and a daughter. Like, you know, I'm, we used to call them the millionaire's family, maybe still do. I had a fabulous job. I was by that stage I was managing sales offices, in, you know, in Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa, which is like half of Canada. All the salespeople who were working for me were 15 years older than me. By that stage, I was over 150 grand. I had an in, in income. I had pretty much an unlimited expense account. Like as long as I, our team was on quota, I could go out to dinner seven days a week. I could take my wife anywhere. I could buy anything. Nobody paid any. This was a very decadent time, you know. Right, right. But, you know, I don't see any of that to boast. The truth is that for my friends and family, I was the poster child of what success is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. This was what success was. And this is what I've been taught from childhood. These were all the things. And I found myself sitting there. I remember waking up one morning, Donnie, and, and or becoming aware. I must have got, been awake a bit before, but sort of like sometimes you get up in a bit of a trance. Right. And I'm sitting on the toilet naked, and I'm bawling my head off. And I'm 30 years old, and I couldn't have told you why I was crying. I could not have told you, you know. But it sort of sinks into your subconscious that I was fucking miserable, I mean, so sure I had all this money, and sure everybody was telling me how great I was. Nobody at the office liked me. They all thought I was a, you know, an absolute prick. I was leaving my house in the morning before my kids were up because in the city, and I had to bring my car. I couldn't take public transit because I would need it to go on sales calls. Right. So I had to leave before they got up. If I was in town and not traveling, I'd still get home in the evening after they weren't bad because you don't you'd, you'd see the same thing you'd look at the rush hour traffic and once you got to be a boss people need wanted to cry on your shoulder or to celebrate you know right. if it had been a good day come out and have a beer with me if it was a bad day I need to cry on your shoulder you know so I mean the truth of the matter is, is I was absolutely killing myself I was abusing alcohol Badly, like, you know, partly to deal with the stress and a lot of it was just the bloody lifestyle. You're traveling on the road two weeks at a time. When the boss hits town with that unlimited expense account, clients and employees all want to go out for the most indulgent experience they Absolutely. can get. You know, it started with the dinners and the restaurants, depending on whether who I was with. If, you know, if it was people coming in to meet me in Toronto and they were male, we all wanted to go up to strip joints and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it was just nuts, you know. Um, I was also working with a whole bunch of people that I realized that yeah, partly they didn't like me because of my personality. Partly is it was because the things we believed in were just completely different. I mean, you know, this was a, the management team was male dominant um, without wanting to, you know, it's been a lot of years, but I don't want to uh, impeach the character of all of them. Most of them were philanderers. Um, but, you know, it's not a fun experience when you're a new manager and there's, you know, they, they move some people around, and you go, oh, yeah, such-and-such John, 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 such is working for you now. Again, I didn't want to put the name up there, but right. – and that person comes into your office and on the first day they're working for you starts crying, and you say, what's up? Well, you know, I was I was fucking so-and-so who used to be my boss, and he dumped me, and I'm thinking – what in the world is going on? I was, we'd be down at, at sales conferences in the States. The hiring criteria for that company in the day, they're gone, so they can't sue me, but the hiring criteria for the, the sales reps in the States was 30 and younger, female, and look good in a bikini. I swear right. to God. Like, uh, they were smart. I don't want to say they weren't because they were really smart young women, but were they ever objectified? So I'd walk by a hot tub outside at three in the morning and I'd see one of the executives from our company in a pool with three or four of these ladies naked. And a case of champagne there and next week i'd be having lunch or dinner i should say with with that same guy his wife my wife and me right and i'm thinking you know i mean i again i didn't see all this at the time i'm not a prude but tell me i'm not but i mean donnie i'm not but you know i just i was damn uncomfortable looking at these these ladies in the face and thinking fuck i know you know i know i wasn't doing that but but it still didn't make me feel so anyway all this is going on and yeah
0: but you know to that point and and just let me interject is when you're in that situation, and it's not part of your belief system, you know, you are now put into a a spot to where you're fighting against your own morals.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't old enough to understand, or uh, age wasn't the. End, I hadn't figured out why the conflict was making me so unhappy. But you're damn straight.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, because luckily I had a great bride through my entire journey, you know, really once I hit my hardcore sales careers and everything, which was never became an issue. But I knew there were certain circles that I ran in that I just couldn't hang out with them because yeah. I knew where they were going and knew what they were fixing yeah. to do. And, yeah. you know, that just wasn't going to be for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So there there I was. But, you know, I also had a wife who was now stay-at-home mom. I had two kids. I had a lifestyle that pretty much had me convinced that I needed the sex figure income because I was wearing tailor-made clothes with monogram shirts and gold jewelry, things that I never gave a crap about growing up, but they were just all part of my, you know, my lifestyle. And so, you know, I went through, I'd like to say I had this epiphany and just got up one day and went in and quit, but it, it, it sucked. I think for about two to three years, I was not sleeping. I'd wake up at night and, you know, in my book, uh, I wrote a book called Screw the Naysayers, They Suck Anyway. And that's where the clouds come from, by the way, the Charlie Brown clouds. <laughs> is, it's two sheep skydiving saying, screw the naysayers, they suck anyway. It gives you an idea of well, what this short little book is, a pretty sarcastic thing. But there I was, and I had these two alter egos. Like the one would say, my own personal Debbie Downer, because I was thinking of quitting. And I was actually thinking of not just quitting, but moving to where my wife was born and raised, which is where I am today. The tiniest little fishing village in the province of Nova Scotia in the middle of nowhere.
0: (laughs) In most cases, it was a
1: four-hour drive to the nearest airport. Now it's three. You know, it was the middle of nowhere. There was no Internet in those days or any of that kind of stuff. And so Debbie Downer would say to me, well, you fucking crazy. Like nobody in their right mind quits a job like, you you suck it up, be a man. You know, and do what you need to do. You know, don't be selfish, you know. Right. And, and then the other, you know, ego. alter ego would, would pop up. I've since called him Roy because he later in life became my great mentor. But Roy would say to me, Timmy, if you don't quit, then you're going to be dead or divorced within five years and probably both. I mean, I was drinking an entire bottle of Pep- Pepto-Bismol every night and still had heartburn. You know, I mean, it was it was bad in my book. I put it this way, Donnie. I said I felt like I was standing under a leaky bag of cat urine and couldn't move, even though it sucked like hell. I just was paralyzed because I just felt like I had no choice. And people get caught that way. They start thinking they got we often hear them called golden handcuffs or whatever. I mean, I had stock options and all the other shit, too. But I mean, but finally, I realized I don't know. I mean, I had no one around me other than my wife knew what I was going through. But finally, I just, I couldn't take it. My boss was out of town, and I, w- I was afraid he would try and talk me out of it. So when he was gone, I went in and I his desk, and I can't describe for you the feeling, like when, when I, you know, when it slipped out of my hands. Like, it's just like the weight of the world was off the shoulders. And that's, I think, the first time that I truly said to myself, screw the here, screw all the people that say that nobody quits a job like this. And we did, and I quit, and we did move out to this, you know, this this little fishing village that was 30, you know, 30-plus years ago. I'm looking out my bay window right now, you know, looking at the same forest. The trees are a little bigger, but it's the same place I've, you know, I've been at. And But there was another stretch there where, where, where they still had, those naysayers still had their hooks in me real bad, and they didn't know it. And that's because I was convinced that I had sacrificed everything in order to be a present parent and live in this community. I said to myself, I grieved, I don't, didn't know it then, but I know now I grieved the loss of my career because I was convinced it was over for three years. I went around, to, I started a business. I started my own little educational software business, but I went around telling everybody that my goal in life is to make enough money to put food on the table and keep a roof over my head. And that's exactly what I did. That's, <laughs> that, that's what I told people I was capable of doing. And you know, because you know that it's like that, man. Like, when you think that that's what your your goal is, that's, you will never achieve more than what you think, you know, is, is, is possible. Absolutely. And that's when Roy, that's when my buddy Roy came into it. And it's just such a crazy world. So here I am in this little fishing village in Nova Scotia. Roy is... A Polish descendant, you know, living from New England, living in Minnesota, who I met in San Diego at at a conference. It's just the way this (laughs) same world works, eh? Right. And we're sitting there having – he's having a tangerine martini, I think it's called, and I'm having a beer or rum and coke or something. And I'm telling him a bit about my background. Roy's like 30 years older. He's got gray hair, but very successful. Working at the time with one of the largest educational software companies in the world. And he says to me, He says, You know, you should set up a whole dealer network for me in Canada. And I looked at him and I said, Are you out of your friggin' tree? Like I'm living in the forest. I mean, I'm in my basement. My desk is made of a four by eight. This was true, a four by eight sheet of plywood with two-by-fours for legs on a cement floor right next to the wood furnace. (laughs) I said, I can't run a national business from down here, Roy. I mean, you got to find somebody else. And he looked at me and said, why?
0: Hey, guys, it's Donnie here, and I just want to let you know that we've recently launched a content development company, and this company helps people get social content. You know you need to put out a lot of content nowadays to get engagement out there in all your social platforms, but we've come up with a really cool way to help you get videos, blog posts, memes, social posters, and infographics for You know, whatever social site you need. So check us out at successchamps.us and learn more about how you can get social content for your social media. Support for this podcast comes from Point Blank Safety Services and Blue Family Fund. Point Blank Safety Services does safety differently. We know everyone is on a journey, and we want to make sure you get where you're going safely. Professional, trained, ready. There's really no comparison. Here's why hiring Point Blank Safety for your next project will make all the difference and save you huge amounts of stress and hassle. Point Blank Safety Services provides certified uniformed police officers for a full suite of armed guard services. Don't leave the safety of your project to chance. If you're ready to make sure safety truly comes first for your next project, then visit us at pointblanksafety.com. You're listening to Donnie's Success Champions, where I believe. Everybody is on a journey. Life is all about the stories you can tell and teach later. You're going to hear the stories of people who have overcome hardships, failures, and life to find success along their journey.
1: Why? Well, I said nobody will take me credibly you know, from down there and – you know, again, if people of a certain age won't understand this concept either. But back in the day we actually had to mail checks to our credit card companies to pay our, right. to our you know. <laughs> so he looked at me and he said, Tim, he said, every month I mail a check to American Express and it goes to someplace in North Dakota or South Dakota. I don't know where the fuck it goes, and I don't care. Why do you think anybody else cares? And I know it sounds dumb, but I'd had that self-limiting belief that because I'd done that, that I couldn't do it. And I realized now that, you know, as we got going, Roy started putting some ideas in my head. And I'd come back to him and say, well, what if we tried this? And he'd say, that's a good idea. Let's try that. I realized after a while, it pretty much didn't matter what I was going to say. He said, let's give that a shot. Donnie, I mean, from that point on, you know, we ended up, and and I'm going to mention the dollar figure because it's what everybody seems impressed with. But then I want to tell you what I really care about. But we ended up going coast to coast. I sold $10 million of that product. Now, this was an adult literacy numeracy product. And when I saw it, it couldn't have been sold in Canada for a – you couldn't have been given away. It was incredible stuff. I knew educational technology, and from a technology standpoint, it was fabulous. But it had two really big problems. In the mathematics part of it, it didn't teach metric. And Canada's schools and right. adults, we you know, we can learn the imperial system, but we have to have metric lessons in there. You just can't – you can't sell it.
0: Wait, what's metric? The re- yeah, uh, like you know, meters. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I
1: mean, I, I don't know where you're from down under there,
0: so you know.
1: Down Then the other thing was the reading lessons, man. Where yeah, they were teaching you know reading and reading comprehension, but they were built around. Stories like that were really designed to, to make people a, a good citizen of the United States. So, this would be about you know, this lesson was about the U.S. Bill of Rights and the right, right,
0: right. And
1: as you can imagine, Canadians being about one tenth the size of the United States and with an ego about one one thousandth the size of the average American <laughs> were slightly intimidated by that, you know. But all I did was I spent 25,000 bucks to hire a teacher up here and I, I, I put them in front of the screen and I said, I want you to. Don't change any of the logic. If it's a multiple choice question where answer C is correct, you give me text and pictures that we can fit in here where answer C is correct. And we just went through that. Same with the math lesson. You insert the word
0: out. A here. You know, yeah, you put a, a Canadian that. flag that's in the back. Exactly you know. That's, that's it, you know?
1: <laughs> but you know, we went. We went national, and I ended up setting setting up this dealer network. And people talked about the ten million, and it changed my life. That's now that's for sure, and it's changed my outlook on on life ever since. The thing I'm proudest about is that software was meant for adults who had either hadn't finished high school or been given the piece of paper, but still didn't have the reading and math skills needed, you know, to, to get, have a chance of getting a decent job, you know, to, to participate. I used to say to participate equitably in society. Hmm. If you couldn't read the job application, it was pretty damn hard to apply for the job. Right. Right. My company helped, you know, set up 115 learning centers coast to coast in Canada, which in the context of Canada, that's a lot of communities. Yeah. And I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of, of Canadian adults went through those centers because I'll never know because it was it was based on local area networks and the client the customers were, you know, doing it. But it, it's in the hundreds of thousands. And that really is when I also realized this is where Attitude of Gratitude starts to come in. And you start to realize that not only am I making money, and I was making – As much money as I'd been making before, which felt like a fortune in this little place, you
0: know,
1: nobody around here understood a thing about what I was doing. But I mean, I, you know, there's just so many things that worked for me. I controlled my own schedule. Whereas I was, you know, my kids were growing up without a dad. I would set my schedule. My daughter was really big into soccer and basketball and and high school sports and and school sports. So, you know, in rural communities, you gotta, somebody's gotta drive them, you know, to the next community. I just blocked the schedule off. She'd tell me when the games were and I grabbed the van and we fit as many in as we could go. And, you know, and I got to do that. And I, you know, I, and, and my son were Canadian. He played hockey. I went, I did not miss a weekend hockey game from age five to age 18 when he finished minor hockey. I used to fly home on a Friday night and pay back in those days. The flights were like twice, three times as expensive. If you, you wanted to stay over the Saturday night, it got really cheap. But if you wanted right. to come home on the Friday, I didn't care. I said, if my business can't afford to fly me home to see that hockey game, I'm not going out there. Now, do I have a lot less money left in my bank account than I could have? Damn straight. I don't consider myself to be wealthy, and, you know, in the financial sense. But good lord, the life we we lived from that point on, in terms of, and it, it all goes back to what you talked about about values. I mean, people sometimes roll their eyes when you talk about that, but I'm not preaching. How, you know, it's not up to me to tell you what your values should be. It's a personal thing. Nobody has the right to tell you. Nobody can tell right. you what your personal values. They're intrinsic. They're yours. They just are. But I, I like to tell, tell people to, you know, take a, a piece of paper or, if you you know, a digital paper or whatever, but just write the phrase I value at the top of the page and make your list. For me, it's family, friends, health, respect, integrity, and environment. And what I've learned is that when I look back at why I was so miserable, for example, in, you know, working for that company, while my family life was being threatened, my health was being threatened, my integrity was being questioned, my respect was being, you know, I've learned any time in my life, if I'm not happy, something in my life is in conflict with one of those values, or there's something missing from my life. Cause I found myself for some reason, a lot of, well, I, I guess I know of but in this community, a lot of young men and women come to talk to me, you know, cause there's just not the role models aren't around that have sort of broken the odds and done different things. And I, you know, a lot of people with artistic talents, whether they're musicians or there's, a, you know, a performance dancer that I've spent a lot of time with or whatever. If you have that in you and if you're not using that creativity that's inbred in you somewhere in your life, you're going to be miserable. There ain't, you can try and pretend it's not important, but it's not going to work. It doesn't have to be your job,
0: but it has to be in your life somewhere. Let me ask you a question. Sure. At what point did you realize you became Roy? <laughs>
1: You know, my friend, that might have been the greatest compliment I've ever received in my in, entire life. I never quite looked at it that way, but I sure knew that you know, I've known for a long time now that my path in life is around helping others. and Because that's what Roy did, you know, did for me. And I sold off that educational software company that I started around 2005. I spent about a dozen years in small business coaching, which was the start of my perhaps being Roy in the sense that I live in a rural community. I love Well, like to me, the small business owners are the entire backbone of our rural communities. We don't have those little businesses around us. We got nothing left, you know. Right. And so many of them are working so hard and barely getting by. So I had a skill set that allowed me to go in and and help me. Oftentimes it's just because they don't know how to price their products. Or, you know, they're trying to be too many things to too many people. Or they've. It's good to be nice to your employees, but you've got to make sure that you're getting productivity out of your employees, all that kind of stuff. And so I was doing that. But it. I guess the true answer to your question is it hit home on my 60th birthday, and that was the – I never thought of it this way. Roy passed away in the spring, and I went down to his funeral. He was in Florida. And in September of 2017, I turned 60. I had decided to retire. Like my wife and I, we actually bought a little camper trailer to be going around Nova Scotia, you know, and camping and and all that kind of stuff. We still do a fair bit of that. But it was going to be full-time, let's put the feet up and – and honestly i 've been writing again writing 's always been since I was a child, you know maybe because I was lying around with not much to do all the time, but I <laughs> love to write and and I started sharing some of the you know some of the almost poetic like chapters in this this little book, like some of the chapters are a page and a half long. That really resonated, and all these young people, you know, I went to a poetry slam with 20-year-old kids, 18-year-old kids, 16-year-old kids, and at poetry slams, I've learned, you don't clap, you snap your fingers, which I can't even do. But there, was, there was a lot of snapping, and I started to observe some things in today's society that were really upsetting me. And it essentially, I think it's this, I think we're still teaching our kids as they grow up and certainly the millennials and most of the gen Z's I hate to label them, but that's just so people will get sort of that age perspective that I'm talking about. We raised them all with that same bullshit line of, you know, the success equals going to school where your job is to sit down, shut up, behave, and wait for instructions. Get good grades, go to university, where you sit down, shut up, behave, and wait for instructions. And and then graduate and you're going to get this great job. Don't worry about all this debt we're giving you because the great job's going to pay for it. And guess what? Like, I have the stats for the U.S., but they're almost the same here in Canada. But over 50% of adults under the age of 30 in the United States are either unemployed or underemployed. So when we start yapping about a 3.7% unemployment rate or whatever, that's fine, man. But if you've got six years of education and you're still waiting tables and that means you're employed – that's not, you know, the social contract we, we
0: made with all these young kids. Let me jump in just then because I, I love this topic because I'm 100% in agreement with you. I think, you know, college is ridiculous, pointless. Unless you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, there's no reason yeah. to go to college, right? But to that same point, I also believe that it's the parents themselves that are influencing these kids. Damn right. Because of their own shortcomings, right? They're unhappy in their careers, their professions, their choices, their things they do. <laughs> so they're putting on their freaking kids to go do this, so they can live vicariously, or the kids don't have to live this lifestyle. Don't yeah. understand? These kids are going two to three hundred thousand dollars in debt, yeah. and then getting a job for forty to sixty thousand dollars exactly. a year, and then they can't pay it back. And yeah. now they're living the same lifestyle. Yeah all because their parents forced them down that path.
1: You you, you just summed up 50% of my book, you know, because I really did. I'm trying to speak to younger people, and so I I took a very sarcastic approach to looking at the things you've been told. So, like, you know, when you graduate, you know, from if you've gone to university or college and you graduate, they tell you it's your day, don't they? I mean, this you know, it's our day. You know know what that day is? That's the day when you walk across the stage with an upside-down hat so some old fart can move the, the tassel from one side to the other. And when you're there, all your parents and friends are going to take about 4,000 digital pictures. So then they can share them with all of their friends and congratulate, you know, themselves as parents about the great job they did in raising their
0: kids. 100%. that's that's
1: That's what that's all about. It's not, if college and university and school was about preparing our kids for the future, guest number one on my show, and if you haven't talked to him, Don Wetrick's a man that you'd just, you'd just kick ass enjoy, because he's an innovation teacher. He's a teacher, but he's at right. Noble Still High School in Indianapolis, but he's got a podcast too called Start Add Up, but you know, he's had people like Seth Godin and Gary Vaynerchuk on the show. Like he's, he's a rock star. Nice. Well, he, he calls it the big lie. You know, that the only path to success is through a four-year degree program. And he's all about teaching. Like, if all our kids could just be in his innovation class, the world would be great. Because, you know, he's teaching kids that – because what else do we teach them when they're in school, man? We teach them that failure is the worst thing in the world.
0: Which is the stupidest thing in the face of the earth.
1: (laughs) Dumbass stupid, eh? So think of what I said. Because Don is, I stole these words from Don when he says we tell our kids to sit down, shut up, behave, and wait for instructions. When you graduate from college and the fucking job that you were promised isn't there, then what do you do? You fall back on the things you've been taught. You wait for
0: instructions. Mm, Nobody else is going to
1: give them the instructions. So what, then, what do you do? Well, you know what's, go, what's interesting about
0: that is you sit back right? and wait for instructions, and then you get this this label of now you're entitled because you're. Look, that's, <laughs> that's brilliant! I've I never yeah, thought that. You're entitled,
1: son of a bitch, because you don't want to work for it. Well, you, know, lazy, you
0: don't know bitch. the next move is to make because you know that's brilliant. That's the truth. It's, I, it's, I really it's, agree it's, with that. It's, it's
1: the truth. It's it's the ultimate, you know, truth. So I mean, look, are there lazy millennials? Of course there are. I know plenty of guys my age that are lazy too. You know, I mean, it's not a generational thing. They got, it's not the millennials in particular. It's not their fault that they were born at the time when we were heading into the biggest change in in the use of technology in the workforce since the Industrial Revolution. And we didn't
0: prepare them for it. Absolutely. Well, here's also an interesting perspective. Dr. Stevie Don taught me this, and I'd never thought about it. We were just having a general discussion about the millennials and that. And, you know, my belief at that point was they were the the label, the the lazy, not working, nor anything else. And she goes, Look, they're not lazy. You're just jealous. And I said, what am I going to be jealous of these kids yeah. for? And she's like, dude, you're just mad because these kids will work their ass off. They'll do what they need to do. They're just going to show up to work when they want to. They're going to leave work when they want to. They want their freedoms. They want their joy. You're pissed off because you weren't smart enough to figure that out when you were younger. I'm like, yeah, exactly. See, <laughs> she's great, right? You know, yeah? no,
1: I, I know she's, she's got it spot on. I mean, there's a couple of ways of, do, of looking at that. I mean, you know, the one thing I would definitely say is that, that today's youth, are not willing to to do what I did. Right. I compromised my values for money. Not going to happen. You know, if a corporation has gone through a downsizing and they've been ruthless in, in laying off senior employees and cut their pensions and it's been all over the news and then they recover and they want to hire people and they wonder why young people will say, fuck you, right. they're, they're not going to do it. If you are out there polluting the hell out of the environment and causing cancer for people and knowingly, and they know it, and then you offer them a big job, doesn't matter. They won't take the job, you know. And it really does piss people off. The other thing that I think cuts to what, you know, your friend, Dr., what was her name, done?
0: Dr. Stevie Don.
1: Stevie Don, yeah. The other thing that definitely applies there is that, you know, for parents that have younger kids today, here's the thing I think they should really be, you know, more aware of. Kids don't listen to what we say. They pay no attention to what we say. We think they're listening to what we say. And if we force them to regurgitate it, they will. But what they do is they observe. And Mm -hmm. you hit it so accurately early on, Donnie, when you said they don't want to be like us. Yep. Because they saw we were miserable. Yep. They saw, like, I quit at 30 and, and, you know, and, and left that rat race and created the life I wanted, built a life around the things that I valued. But the truth of the matter is, for my generation, 95% or whatever the number is, a huge number, didn't have the guts to do it. Right. They stayed. And by the time they figured it out, the only reason, I mean, and this is another thing I've observed when I interview guests that have sort of gone through the kind of changes that I went through, almost every one of them has had some sort of what, what uh, Kevin Ballmer was on my show on did, the, the No Schedule Man, another great podcast. But, you know, Kevin put it this way. He said that somebody who goes through that big change, that, you know, sort of epiphany that I've got to do something different. It happens because of some infrastructure rattling event. In, he, for, in Kevin's case, he lost his job, found out his wife was having an affair, and ended up in the hospital for bad health all in the span of six days.
0: <laughs> That'll so, do you know, it. <laughs>
1: I mean, he, it fucked him up pretty good, you know. But it's true. I started to think about the people that have been on my show that have sort of gone through that adversity. And yours, and I've if you go back and think about it, there's that. You know, you talk we sometimes we call it the dark side, sometimes it's just a necessary thing. So I'm on this ambition. The reason that I at sixty I said no, I'm not retiring. I started this thing company called Screw the Air Productions. I got the, you know the book, i got podcasts going. I'm trying to like you build a movement, you know, around the world that's gonna say to the young, you know, young people that are out there that don't be like us. And don't buy into any of this bullshit that you need to be like us. Because if you try to be, you're going to you're going to end up in this same thing. But I also don't buy, and this is where I really get pissed off because people are telling me that you know I'm wasting my time trying to talk to that audience because they're not going to listen. You need to wait till they're 30 to 35 years of age and they've got had enough pain and suffering, and they got enough money to pay for some help and all that. And I say, oh, that's brilliant. I should just watch an entire generation suffer for 10 years while I speak out. I don't think so. I did that back in the 20s when I should have said, get your fucking pants back on. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I'm not alone. And that's the thing that really inspires me. Like, that's the power of podcasting. We're meeting people all around the world yep. that are on the same, the generations that are younger are listening to us. You yeah, know, they absolutely. are
0: listening to these things, eh? You know, and here's crazy is, you know, we're so influenced by our, our environment, right? So we're influenced by our teachers, our family, our closest friends, right? And so that's what we know. I mean, growing up for me as a kid, we lived in the country, we lived on a farm, and then we moved to the big city in Texas. And success, in my mind, was you know you had to wear the fancy suits, the slick yeah. back hair, you had to climb the corporate ladder. I mean, yeah. and that was success. And then once I got there, and that's why I love telling the story. I'm like, dude, this sucks, yeah. right? I don't want to play the politics. I don't want to, you know, have to watch my language and you know all these things. And I don't want somebody to have to tell me what to do on a regular basis. So, you know, I had this real bad yin and yang of society and life that always told me yeah. to go this direction. But me, myself, I'm fighting with, dude, that sucks. Yeah. You know, and, I, you know, I'm a late bloomer, as I tell everybody, because I didn't jump on my own until I was 40. You know, yeah. and run out and start my own business hey, and see, stuff. Not
1: to interrupt you, man, but most guys and gals, by the time they get to your age, they don't do it. Then they settle into to hell. Hell on yes. earth. Because they yes. start counting down the days to retirement. Yes. You know, how effing sad is that? You know, you know it reminds you, me yourself, of, of guys I'm getting.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of guys getting out of the military. If you ask a guy, you know, you know how much long you got left, and he's like, I got 372 in a wake-up. You know, yeah. in 372 days, you wake up and I'm out, right? Yeah. You know, uh, and it's the same thing for people looking at the career, and they're aiming for retirement. And if you're working in a profession to aim for you know, walking away from it, you're just going to trade off one misery for another. Now, I will say my parents are in retirement, freaking love it, amazing, enjoy their, their lifestyle. I don't think they have any, any regrets. And that's totally cool. But I think they're not the norm.
1: Yeah, they are. Yeah. I was interviewed on 365 Driven podcast with Tony Watley yesterday, and it's really interesting because he, he wrote a book called The Side Hustle Millionaire. So I mean, he's been right. he's always been making more money in his side businesses than he ever made as an employee, and he did really good in the oil and gas sector. He's from your neck of the world, Texas, anyways, in right. Houston. But it was interesting because he said he talked to his grand he was at his grandmother's birthday party a little while ago, and she turned 92. And he said to her, he said, Grandma, uh, when did you start to feel old? And uh, she <laughs> thought about it for a bit, and she said. I think when I turned 60, I started to feel old. And then he looked at her and said, wow, you know, like, and she said, yeah, you know, 32 years. I think I might have been able to do something more. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and, you know, I,
1: you know, yes, I thought and that hit home for me because, I mean, I'm 61 now, and I'm saying, you know, but it's really true. And, like, everybody has to decide what their purpose in life is and how they want to enjoy it. But I know for, you know, for me, I mean, I got that fire back in my belly. that, that When I was small business coaching, it wasn't there. If you'd ask me if I'd ever start a new business again, I'd have said no because I never thought the co- thought of the co- just the coaching as a business. It was just a way of getting something back. But I would have said I don't have the fire. I don't have the drive.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I love it when people get pissed off, and here's why. There's, there's one three way to start a business because it's a passion, and that's a beautiful thing. Do it. But when you get pissed off, you make a movement, right? Yeah, exactly. Because now you're like, fucking hold my beer and watch this because I'm about yeah, to shake yeah, some exactly. shit up, right? You know? If
1: you're wrong, okay, we'll just watch. Yep. You know, that's all I can yep. say. You know? I mean, and now that's not to lie because now I don't want to make it sound like you know this living a dream type of thing. I mean – this last time around, I'm about. Truthfully, I, I started to think about it last fall when I was writing the book and everything. I mean, I honestly started I maybe mean, April, May of this year. It's been damn hard, man. I mean, I find myself. It's, uh, it's interesting. I'm, try, I'm starting to write a blog post on this on this topic right now because I mean, you know, I don't. I've never lacked confidence, you know, and I understand. I've sure learned the hard way and the good way that my beliefs have a huge impact on what's going to happen in my life. Right. But here I am. You know, I'm sitting there at 61, and I think maybe I just have a kind of utopian vision of how easy things were in the past because they weren't, you know. But, you know, I'm making some mistakes. My radar in terms of identifying the sharks that are swimming around out there trying to separate me from my money has failed me on a few occasions here because of this whole world of digital marketing and and the way that it's really foreign to me. It's not something I've ever had to do. And I find myself, I, I would say I made some mistakes. I lost some money. I've had days when I sit there and say, man, I don't know if I can do this. And then, you know, somebody like Mark Metry from Humans 2.0, are you crazy? You you built a $10 million company. You tell them you can't figure this out. Well, I know you're right, but I mean, this mind is a really. Well, you you know, in this
0: day and age, and I love telling this, and this is part of my platform when I get on stage is in this day and age, it's not the old school way of doing things. You know, I grew up in sales was cold calls and walking indoors and, you know, that, that was sales. Now it's about going big and loud. And what, Advice for you, if that's okay, is you have to embrace that you've got to become a celebrity, mm-hmm. right? It's no longer about going just door-to-door and hand-to-hand, right? That's portion of it, but you've got to literally, and that's one of the things that I love about my podcast, is I fully embrace that this is the platform that's taking me where I want to go, but it's because I'm okay going, I want to be that guy that when I walk into a place, they go, holy cow, that's Donnie. Right. Nice. You've got to embrace that celebrity mindset and then go all in on that. And what I mean yeah. by that is you've got to go big and loud and be everywhere. Gary V does a great message surrounding about this. And I don't always agree with Gary's stuff, but I love yeah. how he talks about very specifically that you've got to put out such a massive volume of content. Yeah. Right. Because you're trying to disrupt all these people's day. And for you, it's not the gentle message, it's the pissed off message. Right.
1: One of the things that's been interesting at this, thank you so much for sharing. I mean, one of the things that's interesting for me is that the podcast has been huge for me and it's growing. I mean, I hit the number one page in in careers on iTunes after like three months or something like that. I mean, it didn't stay because they come and go, but I mean, my my downloads are trending all in the right direction. I mean, you know, people with really successful podcasts are telling me that I. Ahead um, of where they were at in those days. The podcast is the stories of my guests, and so I really make an effort to, you know, I people get to know me for sure. But uh, this is why I really appreciate venues like this where I can just sort of get up on my soapbox, you know, and go at it. Because I mean, it's yeah, it, it is. It, it, it I am pissed off, and it it is more than just a well, passion of wanting making change. Just, I'm going
0: to challenge you one more for for your show because yeah. on mine, and this is how I do. You know, Monday through Thursday, I got guests coming on Fridays. You know, I go on and teach. I'm gonna challenge you to start teaching. I must challenge you to even if it's once a month, you grab your own show yeah. and and start teaching. Because people keep asking me they're like Donnie, how do you get speaking engagements? How do you get people reaching out to you? And I'm like, it's because of the Friday show. Yeah. yeah. How long are your Friday shows and the thirty there, minutes to an hour? It's just yeah. depending it on what's coming out of you. Yep, yep. And you know, and what's what's great is my listeners and followers are the ones who give me the content for the Friday shows. During my Facebook groups and everything else, somebody is feeding me, you know, asking questions, and oh, as soon yeah. as I see yeah, the questions, yeah, yeah. the interaction, I'm like, boom, that's Friday yeah. show. But I would really challenge it because that's that next barrier is people start seeing you spitting knowledge versus just sharing yeah. other people's yeah. knowledge.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Gonna do it. Gonna do yeah. it.
0: All right. So, where do you think all this is going to take you, brother? I mean, you've got a lot of things going on. You're going big, you're going loud. Where's it all going to take you?
1: Well, I guess I have to start believing what I've been <laughs> uh, what
0: I've been selling.
1: I'm going to create a a movement with other like-minded individuals because I'm becoming a network, honestly, that's being established, or, you know, around the world. We are going to create a community of bosses you know, and others people that are just saying, "No, I'm opting out of all that crap." I'm not going to go, and it might be young people who right out of the gate that are saying, I'm just not going that corporate route. It might be people starting side hustles. And I think a very underestimated group is seniors, folks that have, whose careers are ending who are either can't afford to retire or don't want to retire. But I think there's a whole whack of people out there that need to come into us, you know, some sort of supportive community because the damn naysayers are traveling in packs. And so I think we got to start traveling in packs. I'm going to create a community of bosses that will have hundreds of thousands of people in it. And we are going to, uh, you know, we're going to work together collaboratively to help make their dreams come true. And in so doing, you know, change the world.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm excited to, to one, be a participant on that journey, but two, I'm going to have fun as hell watching you climb this thing. It's <laughs> good well, ride. do
1: me one big favor, man. Hold me accountable for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, don't worry. When we get off this show, you and I are going to have some fun accountability conversations. So let's do this because we're getting stacked up against the hour. This is how I wrap up every show, and I do stump some people, so be forewarned. If you could leave my audience of Champions with a quote, a saying, a phrase, a mantra, a slogan, something they can carry with them on their journey, especially during those times when they're stacked up against it and they yeah. don't know which way to go. What would be that slogan, yeah. phrase, or mantra?
1: Well, I'm, I'm lucky because it's something I wrote down about 25 years ago. And it's um, know the life you want and have the courage to live it.
0: Oh, love I that.
1: Think, I think it's about those two things it's about understanding and accepting what you want and finding the courage to do it. I love the that. Between people that make it and them. what it results in is you have the ability to create a life around the things you value, which is the other thing I would say create a life around the things you value. But, but yeah, just one, know the life you want, have the courage to live it and fuck anybody who tells you, you can't (laughs)
0: love that dude. (laughs) Love that. That's awesome. Well, Tim, thanks so much for coming on the show. I've really, really enjoyed this. It's been fun to be a part of this story. Don't worry. I'm going to hit you up about coming on your show too. So I'm going to give you hell about that. (laughs) We'll
1: we'll get her, we'll get her, we'll get her scheduled for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But thanks again, brother. Really enjoyed this.
1: Hey, my pleasure, man. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to Donnie Success Champions podcast. If you'd like to hear more about our current guest today or if you'd like to hear stories from our other guests on the show, come hang out with us on our website at successchampspodcast.com. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you need to reach out to me for any reason, you can catch me at donnie at donniebovine.com. Kevin and I have a lot of fun each week recording these episodes and sharing our best thoughts and ideas with you all. Man, we're just proud to, to have you guys as listeners always tuning in. And we really appreciate the messages. We get the DMs, the emails, and the likes from you guys with questions and ideas for future shows. And that just means the world to us. We really are changing how the world networks. We've poured our heart and soul into Success Champions Networking, and it continues to grow.